From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. It does show the sort of strain that the market is under this winter. It's very rare to hear the chief economist of the Bank of England being so frank about Brexit. I think that what's more problematic for policy in the UK is following these basics uh, so that people make decisions on the basis of uh, the full picture. Stephen, I would like to have a small rant. Oh, just a small one. That's a relief. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Welcome to the show. Ewan, I dare say, I think you're being a bit nostalgic today. Ah, yes. Brexit. Now, stop me if you've heard this before, but we've been told a trade deal is imminent. Progress has been made. Then came talk of a tunnel, jargon for intensive negotiations, although apparently Brussels don't like us using the T word. Now it turns out there's a delay and there's briefings from MPs about giving too much away to Europe. Uh, and more seriously, for seeing like the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, has been, on, uh, has been uh, around this weekend urging the PM to press ahead with the controversial Northern Ireland Protocol Bill that could override the UK's agreement with the EU. It's all um, rather familiar. And apparently even the WhatsApp groups are back in action. Yes, I mean, did they ever go away is the question. But yes, um, in, in some of our reporting from our colleagues here at Bloomberg, we've been looking to see that there has been fierce discussions apparently about uh, Brexit and what the deal could entail uh, on those WhatsApp groups of Tory lawmakers as well. Um, something else familiar that I'm thrilled about being back in the news. Michael Gove's gone out again and this oh. has somehow made news. Oh. Um, he has been in a nightclub in Admardine, uh spotted what doing what was described by the club owner as a wee buggy. I, think, I wonder if it was the same nightclub that he was spotted in before. Because no, I checked. Very good publicity. It's, it's yeah, I, I, I did look this up. So this is there was a video of him that emerged in August of last year where he was also on a night out in Edinburgh um, in a different nightclub, which I think is called Bohemia. But this one that he was in is called the Tropicana nightclub. Oh, good um, research. Exactly, yeah. Very, very important research around the, night, <laughs> the night, nightlife scene in Edinburgh. I mean, he, this time around, it was a, a photo taken by the nightclub's photographer. You know, he was uh, talking to uh, another punter in the nightclub. Good for him, I say. Good Why not? Publicity, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I don't wouldn't particularly want photos or videos of me dancing in a nightclub. Um, Absolutely not. Spl- I mean, I'm being I was going to say being splashed across the media. I think no one would have any interest, <laughs> quite frankly. Um, but there you are. Um, he is, uh, you know, he is the leveling up secretary. So maybe it's uh, all about feeding into the economy in yes. other parts of the country as well. Well, let's do some news. It is Tuesday and still no sign of the new EU-UK deal on post-Brexit trade rules. But we're told the agreement is imminent and some expectations that we're going to see some progress in the coming days. Behind the scenes, the lobbying for the deal is already underway. Rishi Sunak has been meeting his own MPs to convince them to support it. This, of course, after the Prime Minister's trip to Northern Ireland last week. Let's discuss this careful laying of foundations now. We've got our UK correspondent Lizzie Burden with us in studio and our Dublin Bureau Chief Morwen Aconium is with us as well. Um, hello to you both. Lizzie, let's start with 
what Rishi Sunak has been up to, who's he been talking to and what do we know about what he's been saying? Well, he's been very busy in his Commons office yesterday holding one-on-one meetings with Tory rebels who he wants to get behind his Brexit deal. Not that he's got one yet, as he made very clear at Munich, uh, but he says he's close to one potentially. Uh, And the Foreign Secretary, James Cleverley, is also going to be addressing Tory backbenchers today. Now, what the allies of former Prime Minister Boris Johnson are saying, the Johnsonites, is don't drop the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill, which, as you know, would have allowed the government to scrap the Northern Ireland Protocol unilaterally. And they say that Sunak can't afford to surrender what is effectively Britain's gun on the negotiating table with Brussels. But Downing Street has said that Rishi Sunak will drop the protocol bill if a deal is reached with Brussels that meets all of its objectives. So that's what he's trying to impress upon the backbench MPs. And Lizzie, some talk of resignations over all of this is is that is that really going to happen or is that just people just kind of like you know flying a kite well if i can borrow reporting from uh, colleagues in uk politics stephen swinford at the times and newsnight's nick watt have said that one or more cabinet minister is prepared to walk and you can look at uh, who the leave backing MPs on the front benches are who've previously quit as Brexit minister. There's Suella Bravman, who, as you mentioned, made that intervention, firing a warning shot yesterday, backing Boris Johnson's intervention on the Northern Ireland bill. There's um, Steve Baker. He had a cryptic tweet uh, about what it would be uh, safe to do. kind of tweet. Let yes. me tell you, the boldest measures are the safest, he tweeted. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, you've put, got... that, put that in a, you know, a framed <laughs> photograph in your downstairs loo. <laughs> um, you've got Chris Heaton-Harris, um, Dominic Raab, I can't really see him resigning. Watch him resign this afternoon now that I've said that. Um, but <laughs> there are... These, these are the sorts of people that you that could potentially resign. Um, you could get more um, disruption from the back benches. Of course, you've got the European Research Group. Um, but, you know, then it becomes a question of the numbers. Surely Rishi Sunak isn't going to put it to a vote, the deal to a vote in the House of Commons if he doesn't have the numbers, if he knows that the ERG is going to oppose them. And then if he does, it means that he's going to be relying on opposition parties votes to get it through. Keir Starmer, of course, has said that he'd give a deal, any deal, political cover. But that would make him look weak and it really would be checkmate by Starmer to Sunak. Mm. Do you want to look at your phone and check if anyone resigned? Oh, God. Let's update us, Lizzie, if you hear something important. Let's go to Morwenna in Dublin. Morwenna, you were in Belfast last week when Richie Sunak was meeting party leaders in Northern Ireland. What sense do you get about the other key constituency he has to win over, and that's the Democratic Unionist Party? So he did make a good lot of reference to progress on Friday. Though there was an emphasis, you know, on that there was work to do on some issues, uh, which is the same as what others have said. Within the party, though, there are people who take a harder line, one of them being Sammy Wilson, who is the uh, chief whip. And he said yesterday he doesn't see an agreement this week. He's stressed the challenges. And of course, beyond that, there have been some threats of parliamentary violence if the DUP softens its stance. And of course, you know, they have to be taken in a context of perhaps trying to stir up um, concern. But, you know, there is a much harder line there. And I think any softening of the stance or not meeting their seven 
demands is not is not going to be received well by unionists and, and particularly there are other parties uh, the TV for example which does take a hard line as well and they have gone up in the polls in recent months for the um, against DP so they would be concerned about that too yeah, well, I mean, it's it's worth just reminding ourselves as well, the seven tasks mainly, without listing them, mainly focus on the idea that there's essentially no obstacles between any either regulation or rules or, or trade that goes between Northern Ireland uh, and the rest of the UK, which is kind of central to what the, the DUP's demands are. And the border down the, R- the Irish Sea. Um, when I, want, I want to ask you about uh, about Dublin. What have we heard from the Irish government? What's, what's their thinking on all of this? Um, so the Irish government are very much deferring to the EU negotiators at this point. Um, we heard from Peter Burke, Ireland's Minister of State for European Affairs and Defence, um, in Brussels this morning, and, and he was very much stressing that, you know, Mara Stefovic is the lead negotiator and that they, you know, have all putting all of their faith in him. But they do hope that things are progressing. Um, they have stressed that there's a significant amount of trust now Um coming from the data sharing agreement that's already been agreed. And they do hope um, that there will be a pathway to agreement. I'd say overall, the message has been very positive and very optimistic with a huge emphasis on the fact that it is important to get government sitting in Northern Ireland again for the people of Northern Ireland. And I think that's something that uh, the Irish government are very concerned about with regards to the Good Friday Agreement, which, of course, um, enabled peace after decades of sectarian violence in the region. And, um, you know, Dublin plays a huge role in maintaining that agreement. Maureen, when when we think about what we know from, from hearing from the DUP for now, you know, is there optimism that they could unite around a deal? Are there, are there characters that we should be watching within the party of people who could be potentially put the kibosh on this when it is agreed? I mean, I think there have been some private acknowledgements that they might not actually be able to block it even if it, you know, if the UK government agrees something which they disagree with, you know, they're not necessarily needed in order to get that through, as we, um, as Lizzie was just saying, with Starmer's um, Labour Party perhaps prepared to back it as well. Um, I, I think, you know, we do need to watch out for the harder line sort of representatives such as Sammy Wilson. Um, you know, that that's a real indication because he is the party whip as well of where overall party sentiment stands or what people are being encouraged to get behind or not. And of course, Jeffrey Donaldson, whose who's tone does seem to be a little softer than before and perhaps a little more nuanced with hope that there will be an agreement. Um, but that isn't necessarily the feeling amongst the rest of the party at the moment. Lizzie, the message is coming through thick and fast on, on your on your pager. Is that me? I think that was you, wasn't it? Oh, no. Is <laughs> it Dominic resigned? Rob? Who's quit? Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, what... When when is this going to happen? Are we going to get an agreement this week? Well, we thought it might be today, but it doesn't seem like it's happening today. We're still told in the coming days. We're told that a deal could be finalised this week. Um, the, it's interesting to see this consultancy Eurasia group upped its chances of a deal in the short term yesterday from 70% to 75%. James cleverly spoke to Mara Shevchevich, the European Commission Vice President, yesterday, and they're going to speak more in the coming days. Sunak's spokesman said that he's not going to put a deadline on the 
the talks and you can understand why it would heighten mm. the risk of humiliation. Um, so it really seems that Sunak's taking his time to finalise a deal that would be agreeable to Conservative MPs, um, which, as Politico points out, is very Cameron slash May-esque because you've already got complaints from people like former chief Brexit negotiator David Frost around the secrecy of the talks to play this strategy takes secrecy and they don't like the sense that the party's being bounced into a deal this that's as much clarity as I can give you unfortunately but if he can get it over the line interesting as well a note from Berenberg's Callum Pickering this morning saying that it might be the start of business investment coming back to the UK economy and softening the blow of a recession and you've seen the PMI's data this is all stuff that Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, will like to hear. Great stuff. Thanks, uh, Lizzie. That's our UK correspondent, Lizzie Burden. And joining us from our Dublin bureau, our bureau chief, Moena Conningham. I'd just like to correct something I said there. Nobody's had a pager since 2005. (laughs) Except potentially you, you and The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, Stephen, I once found 50 quid outside Sainsbury's in Camden Town. What's the most money you've ever found? memory. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't forget that sort of thing, do you? That's just back in the days when 50 quid you used to buy something. Um, what's the most money you've ever found down the back of a sofa? Uh, what, what, what is cash? I've forgotten it so long ago. I don't think <laughs> I've had days any... of pages. People used to carry banknotes around. Yeah, I don't think I've had any significant discoveries, but uh, this is the story very neatly that's going to bring us to of how the government has miraculously found some extra money down the back of the sofa, and not an insignificant sum. Yes, there is a new story here. New public sector borrowing figures out this morning suggest the government may have found 30 billion quid down the back of the sofa. Total borrowing since the fiscal year that started last April is now running £22 billion below the latest OBR. Our forecasts. Well, our cash down the back of the sofa reporter Tom Reese has joined us in the studio. Tom, uh, what is this money and where has it come from? Um, so you're right, we have seen some good um, news on the public finances this morning. We had a surplus of about five billion uh, in January, which was a lot better than the eight billion deficit that we were, we were expecting. Um, essentially, there's a couple of things going on. Um, gas prices are a lot lower than we were expecting. Therefore, you know, um, the government doesn't have to give out as much support. Um, self-assessed um, in- income tax receipts are a lot higher than we were expecting. And the third thing is is debt servicing costs. Um, obviously, you remember last autumn, um, they absolutely surged uh, because of, of the chaos that we saw in gilt markets um, following the mini-budget. Um, now we're starting to see... Um, Guilt markets calm a bit, so we are seeing those starts come down. 
um, and all that added up and things are looking a little bit brighter. So it looks like uh, so tax receipts are higher. That's interesting. I wonder if that that's, that could be an inflation story, couldn't it? People's wages, are, I guess, are growing faster than uh, expected uh, and also less money spent on on the energy subsidy. OK, that's interesting. Where does all this um, leave us as we uh, head towards the budget? I think it was is it KPMG put out this uh, suggestion that we could have uh, £30 billion more leeway. That is, mm. um, that's, that's a lot of money, isn't it? It is a lot. I would be a bit more cautious in the um there's there's quite a lot of moving parts um when the OBR makes its assessment on public finances so yes debt servicing costs are down yes um energy bill support is down but on the other side the OBR will make an assessment about the medium term outlook for growth and that's what's really important in terms of 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 uh borrowing going forward and we're expecting the OBR to take a, a dimmer view of the economy's medium-term growth pros- prospects so how much it downgrades that by will make a huge difference in terms of how much money the Chancellor has to play with and it's, it's worth remembering he didn't leave himself that much room for manoeuvre he left himself a razor thin nine billion buffer back in the autumn and we we could very easily see that wiped out by just a, a weaker medium-term growth uh, outlook. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're we're making the joke about money found in the back of the sofa. This is actually less borrowing. Is essentially what we're we're ending up with, and yeah. that's how we've we've kind of come to this figure of of thirty billion pounds. But 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 put that in context for us. You mentioned that nine nine billion was a very small um, amount that was left in the last budget. Over what what does thirty billion look like in the context of the overall public finances? Um, it it if it is thirty billion that the chance has you know to play with that that is quite a lot. You know that would give allow him to maybe extend the um energy price guarantee at its current level of 2500 that that would that would cost about 3 billion it would also allow him to maybe spend 10 billion on some public sector pay hikes um so that that would be quite a lot of uh, money but i i would just stress that even small changes to the growth outlook would wipe that out now, something we've, we've talked about on the program before is about people missing from the workforce. And a lot of these are older people. Now, you've been writing about this uh, on the Bloomberg today. And it turns out that the older people missing from the workforce uh, are disproportionately rich. Yes. So um, there's been some new research that was out overnight from the Resolution Foundation that found that most of these early retirees um, that are worsening the UK's kind of work shortages are kind of rich professionals um and these are people who basically were you know very wealthy maybe they've paid off their mortgage and therefore have have taken the view that they could just retire early and the the big kind of takeaway from that research is that it's actually very hard to get these people back into work once they retired because to be honest they don't really need to go back to work so when the, the government is currently looking into ways of trying to improve worker participation um this is an area where they'll probably have to think long and hard about because it's very hard to get these quite wealthy people back into the workforce and the other thing is of course if you look at the demographic profile there will be more older Mm. people uh, as time goes on as as britain's population is aging this is potentially a problem that could get worse down the line as well. oh absolutely um also in that report it was talking about how there's going to be an extra two and a half million people aged over 65 by 2030 um so as we see that kind of baby boomer generation retire we, we will start to see the working age 
population shrink at, at some point, and that that like you said, it, it just worsens those those pressures on the labour market. Oh, Tom, thanks so much for dropping into the studio. That's our uh, eco reporter, Tom Rees. Well, let's get a different view of the UK economy now from one of the biggest banks operating here. HSBC's CEO says the government has done a good job in stabilising the economy and believes the downturn in the property market is manageable. Noel Quinn's been speaking to Bloomberg's Manus Cranny. I'm more positive on the UK than the general sentiment. I think the the UK government, um, the current government, has made really good progress in stabilising the economy. It was extremely volatile, as you know, Manus, uh, uh, a few yep. months ago, they've done a good job stabilising the currency, stabilising the markets. From my own portfolio, what I see through our consumer business, uh, our retail business, we're not seeing any major signs of stress at the moment in our retail business. Uh, it's, it's in you- relatively normal territory. In our co- wholesale and commercial banking business, I think there are some corporates that are starting to feel some cash flow pressure because of higher inflation and higher interest mm-hmm. rates. But again... That's still fairly marginal, I would say, at the moment for us. So I'm not overly okay. concerned through our own lens. Um, so I'm, I'm more positive than general sentiments on the UK market. It will be challenging, but I think it's manageable. I need to squeeze another few in on the UK, Noel, if you bear with me, which is, you know, sure. what are people are saying? 10% down in house prices. Lloyds are preparing perhaps a scenario of a crash of 20%. Do you even countenance a UK housing property crash briefly? I think the overall market is probably down in terms of the mortgage market in volume terms is probably down around about 30% from its levels pre the challenges of the last few months. Our market share actually is still growing. Uh, So we're still doing well on a gross basis. Um, Do I think there's some softening in some of the house prices? Yes. But we're relatively protected on that because of the relatively low LTVs. Our average LTV on our mortgage book is below 50%. And, you know, 99% of our mortgage book has an LTV below 90%. So I think we've got good cover on the equity proportion of our lending. But, you know, I do think the mortgage market in volume terms is down. But um, and there are some pressures on house prices. But I don't think it's I think it's in manageable territory. Very briefly, Rishi Sunak looks like he's trying to get this Northern Ireland Protocol uh, agreed and over the line. Good news for people like me from there. But if there's a Brexit deal, Noel, does it significantly change your perspective and the world's perspective on what the UK can deliver? If there's a better relationship with Europe, will it materially change things, Noel? Well, I think any country uh, depends significantly on international trade, and it would be very good for the UK to continue to develop Mm -hmm. its international trade, not just with Europe and not just um, with uh, Northern Ireland, but also with the rest of the world. And we'll do everything we can at HSBC to help the UK government continue to foster good international trade. Um, That's an essential part of the economy, and we wish him all the best on his negotiations. I want to touch on bonus and pay. I'm not going to focus too much on the pay rise you got. Well done. Every CEO should be rewarded. But the bonus pool is the lowest since 2020. Now, my question is this. JP Morgan are cutting jobs and investment banking in Asia this morning. Is it going to be tough to retain with a cut in the bonus pool? And are you going to have to trim the fat in Asia investment banking, Noel? We're not intending to make significant layoffs in investment banking in Asia. We see that as a growth opportunity for us. We've had an excellent performance in the Middle East on investment banking. We've had a good performance in Asia. We continue to invest in it. We see it as a long-term play, and we're not um, changing our strategy for the short term. 
In terms of the bonus pool, uh, we increased the bonus pool in the fourth quarter compared to what it was going to be because we had a good fourth quarter performance, particularly in our uh, investment bank as well. They had a good finish to the year. Uh, our markets business had a good finish to the year, so we did top up the bonus pool from where it was going to be. Um, you got to remember, we also increased the bonus pool significantly last year following the COVID crisis. So our, our, our position this year is relatively flat compared to last year, but it went up, I think, around about 25% last year in 2021. Well, that was HSBC's CEO, Noel Quinn, speaking there to Manus Cranny a bit earlier. Interesting to get that perspective, Ewan. We're talking about, of course, a lot of how politicians talk about the economy, but, you know, somebody who runs a major bank here uh, has a different view on that as well. So he's a bit more optimistic, perhaps, about some of the the outlook for where things are looking in yeah, the UK economy. Yeah, interesting what he said on the UK. He said that he's not really seeing any major signs of stress uh, amongst consumers, uh, and the same with his corporate clients as well. Some early signs of finances being a little bit stretched amongst some of the companies but nothing uh, too serious yet so interesting update from HSBC and we'll be hearing from Lloyds tomorrow as they report their results as well so more perhaps of a take on where things are moving with the UK economy uh, other factors that we are other stories that we are watching out for later today as well the Foreign Secretary James Cleverly is due to address Conservative rank and file MPs to brief them on the latest on the Brexit negotiations as we've been discussing and um, that would follow the meetings that have been taking place already it's another thing that we are watching out for yeah, and uh, Prime Minister's questions, of course, tomorrow we'll bring you that live on the show or on the podcast. It will be less live. <laughs> Indeed. That's it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe. Give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Walcock and Marifal Hussain was on sound. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.